Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a ball boy, and I love films. As Isaac Asimov once said, Never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what is right. Sure, we all find Citizen Kane a tiny bit boring, but that doesn't mean it's not excellent. Hmm, fighting talk from Asimov there. Every week, I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, Jamila Jamil, Kevin Smith, and even Med Pambles. But this week is the incredible comedian, actor, writer, musician, and all-round genius, Mr. Julian Barrett. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get an amazing extra 20 minutes or more with Julian, where he tells a very difficult secret. We discuss the greatest opening and closing to films and all sorts of other stuff. Plus, you also get the whole episode uncut and ad free as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. And if you've not yet seen it, I know I say it every week, but just in case, do you know what I mean? Why not? You can watch the whole of season one of Ted Lasso on the Apple TV Plus app. Watch it, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll love it. I mean it. Anyway, so, Julian Barrett. I mean, this was a big one, wasn't it? You know him from everything, from the Mighty Boosh, to Nathan Barley, to Arg, to Flowers, to Mindhorn, to everything. He's always amazing. I'm a massive fan of his. I was so excited to get to talk to him. I'd never met him before. We did this over Zoom, and over the course of the episode, the light in the room he was in got darker and darker and darker. And for a long time, we didn't mention it. I'd say it's worth joining the Patreon just to see the video. Looks like a film noir. It's amazing. The other thing is, there was an issue with the sound in the recording. I don't know why, some glitch or something. And my producer buddy piece has been an absolute hero in rescuing this episode. I think there's a couple of things, like it might sound weird, different levels occasionally, stuff like that, because he had to cut back and forth. I don't understand it. Anyway, he's done an amazing job. Hopefully you won't notice. But if occasionally you think, this sounds a bit weird, that's why. So, you know, it's all there. Don't worry about it. I think you're going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 131 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an actor, a writer, a producer, a musician, a jazz man, 
a sketch man, a stand-up man, a hero, a legend. I can't believe we've got him on the pod. Please welcome to the show, the brilliant Mr. Julia Barrett. Oh, uh, thank you uh, for having me. And uh, thanks for all those uh, lovely things. So thank you for doing this show. We're recording over Zoom. You are in a, bedroom, a child's bedroom, if I may. I'm in a child's bedroom. And you saw my office and asked if I was also in a child's bedroom. But yes. Um, but I was in your, my office. That's your, that's your life and your... Well, there's a Muppets poster behind you and a very tiny door that I can only imagine leads to yeah. a, a magical land. Yes, you're quite it's right. Where you you're get all your right. ideas from. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have you on. I'm a massive fan. Uh, oh, thank I you. Um, well, Mindhorn. Well, likewise, I love your stuff. You, you love Mindhorn? I love my stuff, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I really love my own stuff. So glad that you like it too, because I love it. <laughs> I don't, actually. I've got sort of body dysmorphia when it comes to my own stuff, a little bit. How does it work with your... Because I was thinking that. I've got a few things I wanted to ask you. One is, like, your persona, not always the case in performances you do, but there's a sort of kind of self-hating kind of thing... And yet you are a creator, you make your own stuff. How do you edit stuff if you hate yourself? <laughs> How do you silence the inner critic? Yeah. Uh, it's, um, a pro- I have to sort of wrong foot it, sort of. I have to jump quickly out the window and then come back in through the front door and make sure it doesn't see me. You know, so I have to be sort of stealthily avoid my... I had a bit of distance sometimes between what I've done and then when I'm editing... Or if I'm writing, uh, and then some distance or time or, you know, uh, between the creative act and the editing act. Mm -hmm. So I I just know, I mean, I I do sort of uh, find, even if I'm writing, you know, I hate, usually don't like it on the day or after written it. And then a few days later, it somehow seems okay. You know, I don't know quite how that works. But yeah, I have to sort of back away from things and and look at them from a different angle. Or if I, when I used to drink, I would have a drink of... Uh, I would do wrote some writing and then go somewhere else, print it out and have a drink and then read it. And it felt like it was written by someone else. And then I'd go, oh, that sounds, that's okay, that now. Uh, so little tricks to uh, fool, the inner, fool the inner critic, I suppose. I mean, acting-wise, it's, it's sort of hard to watch uh, initially because um, you can't see anything but your own stupid face mm. uh, initially. And then you kind of can watch it again and, and see uh, the, the, the sort of more objective merit of things, I suppose. So, you know, I mean, I'm better than I was. I used to be quite down on uh, things, but uh, my own work and but I don't, not really. I mean, I think I'm more objective now about things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. I know. I tend to play. I can play. Uh, I do play a lot of characters who do uh, have a sort of uh, that kind of relationship with themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you watch older stuff if you catch, I don't know, an old episode that you're in from years ago and do you go, oh, that's really good? Yes, you yeah, you see the, yeah, the joyous uh, uh, abandon of youth. And uh, <laughs> so that can be quite fun to see all that. And, um, yeah, but, you know, you don't watch your own stuff, really. Do you? It's not for you somehow. So it's hard to, you know, I mean, I suppose some folks are more obsessed with watching, <laughs> watching their own stuff. I mean, it was very nice being reaching an age... Where my well, reaching my kids reaching an age when I could show them my the boosh, the mighty boosh, which is mm. they then sort of discovered it because a mate of theirs had said they were watching it. So I thought, okay, well maybe I'll. They knew about it, but they, they I hadn't I hadn't impressed it upon them, you know, as a sort of curriculum. 
you know, they sort of said, oh, a mate of theirs said they really like it. So I said, well, well, let's watch it then. So then I, that was the first time I'd watched it for a long time. And uh, that was a very nice moment because it sort of worked for them and worked for me uh, through the lens of uh, distance. And so, yeah, it was, it was uh, that was quite good. So that was sort of quite, a, I thought that was more of a valid reason for rewatching older work sort of thing. Because it has a sort of nostalgic element, which you sometimes, mm. you feel a little bit like it's watching a party that you went to years ago and you're going... You feel a slight sort of the, the sad sometimes the nostalgia, you know. Anyway, but it's yeah. nice if you've got kids enjoying it at the present moment. Hey, so that was that's there's a little uh, a little moment for you there. That's lovely. And uh, and but my I mean, one one of the things. Sorry, oh, yeah, with, with just a little um, thing was because I remember when they were very young, they watched the Mighty Boosh, and there was a gorilla, a guy in a gorilla suit, obviously, but it's reasonably lifelike. But they were at the time my children were five, possibly six years old. I'm trying to think. So anyway, they. They totally believed that it was a real gorilla. You know, they're asking me about it and how, where that, I met the gorilla. And they were saying, oh, you know, he, he lived in England for a long time, so he, he learned to speak and things. And then uh, their birthday came along, and I got Dave Brown, who who played uh, Bolo the Ape, and got him to get into the outfit and come to their birthday party on the heath. <laughs> wow. So he he came, he got dressed up. It's a really tight, uh, claustrophobic, rubber-moulded suit uh, underneath this sort of giant uh, framework. So it looks incredibly lifelike. And he came to the party. He went behind a sort of some trees on Hampstead Heath and came to their party. And obviously some of the children were t- absolutely shitting themselves because there was a giant gorilla... <laughs> Uh, but he was—he had a little hat on and, and some other stuff, so he, that took the edge off it a bit. But they knew they were like they couldn't believe that Bolo had come to their birthday party, you know. So it was pretty cred up for me. But then he was getting so hot, he came over to me and said, "I'm, I'm actually melting. I need to get out of here." So I said, "Okay." And then he went off running and waving goodbyes and, and ran off into the distance, straight over the over a hill and through a picnic that was happening on the other side of the hill. And uh, I mean, they just—they were screaming because from a distance. It looks like a gorilla. And we're not far from Regent's Park Zoo. <laughs> so they probably for an instant thought, holy fuck. Sorry. Yeah, they, they, were, they would have been, that was a priceless moment. Anyway, that was just a little uh, little thing. That was one of the things you can do, I suppose, when you've got young kids and a show that involves gorillas. That's really, really great. <laughs> uh, but tell me, in Mindhorn, which is yes. your film that you wrote as well? With, yeah, with Simon Farnaby. Simon and I wrote so uh, that, yep. And it's hilarious, oh, and I loved you. it. And I saw it at the cinema, and I was excited to see a proper film. But you're joyful in that. Yes. Was, he's a joyful guy. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good character to uh, to play. I mean, I like I like his um, his energy definitely. Yeah, that's a good thing. You know, you you plug into these people, don't you? And, and if they're, if they're a, you feel the sort of uh, their energy, you know, um, if that's not too pretentious, but you sort of. No. You can really uh, get yourself out of a of a, of a bad mood or something. If certain characters, I find, and uh, that was a, he's a broken man, but he's trying to find his way through. So uh, there's a, there's a little bit of an arc for him there. Yeah, and he's got a nice, um, quite useful sense of self denial. Oh, yes. lack of self awareness. Yes, I mean that's uh, those characters are. I always think it's just that's me if I took a couple of wrong steps. <laughs> not many <laughs> just two yeah two wrong steps one thing I shouldn't have done perhaps or one thing I should have done that I didn't and then that's it and then you're there you know so it's only you're only a couple of uh, inches away from it so if you feel the energy of your character were you heavily depressed 
making flowers? <laughs> no, actually, that's so uh, that's completely contradicted myself. So, I mean, to be honest, it's the kind of thing on camera because in flowers, there's a lot of I was coming on and doing these pieces, and he was a depressed sort of character. So, within the scenes themselves, which are as you know, I'm filming, it's very fra- fragmented, isn't it? And you're only really mm. in that mode for a bit. I'm not a, a um, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not a method actor, so I don't sort of. And I was with Olivia Coleman, who certainly isn't a method actor at all. I mean, she's just incredible, but she, as soon as the camera stops, she's cracking jokes and doing things that are ridiculous. And so even if she's doing a scene where she's crying, you know, I mean, it's frightening to work with her because, of course, she can cry out of any eye or how many tears you want. And she'll also, on scenes where I was doing, I said, can we just run through this scene? And I, she ran through it, and she was crying as she ran through the scene with me. Which and uh, I was like, you know, she just has this ability to do that. So I don't, you know, I have to use every uh, trick in the book, you know, to get my, uh, you know, yeah. emotions across. But so essentially it wasn't, it wasn't what I'm saying is it wasn't uh, in any way depressing, really. And strangely, it was, it was quite f- good fun with everyone sort of together in this weird old house in the... Uh, yeah, quaint corner of England, just going sort of slightly mad. But that was actually no, so that it didn't work like uh, like that. But I don't know. My mind torn was a different thing. We were filming on the Isle of Man, which was a strange place to go. Yeah, White, White Wicker Man. Oh, Julian, you haven't recorded anything. No, it's not that. I've forgotten to tell you something. Oh, hello. Oh fuck! It's oh shit! It's quite bad. It's quite bad that I didn't tell you this in the beginning. I I should have opened. I should have opened with it. But I, you got my scan results. Uh, possibly. I'll just say it, and then we can we can deal with the fallout. Oh, I guess. Okay. Uh, you've died. You're dead. Uh, I'm dead. Yeah. Okay. How did you How did you die? Well, um, it's interesting. I didn't. Um, I didn't realize I was dead. So is this like a ghost? This is like a ghost thing. Yeah, you are currently a ghost. So I'm dead, but I'm not sure. I'm like Swayze. You've got some unfinished business, but the unfinished business is you have to do a podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you've so got it's a like ghost. Podcast. Right, yeah. But he has to do a podcast. He's got a bit of admin left over in his diary that he... <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I, gosh, how, how did I die? That's the thing. I mean, I suppose... Oh, yeah, I was playing, a, playing a guitar solo that was so fast that I literally... My heart burst. And I dropped dead uh, in the midst Shit. of one of the gr- greatest guitar solos I ever did. Wow. So that's how it happened on st- uh, on stage, you know. Uh, Where at um, at uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, at the uh, the Bull and Bull and Gate the pub. Bull and Gate. No, but I, I would just uh, yeah. I uh, I don't know. I remember looking at a post the other day of a picture of. Uh, we were rehearsing for the Mighty Boosh tour and there was mm-hmm. just this big warehouse and we were doing a sound check for the uh, the show and uh, it was just a big sort of empty warehouse space and I was just stood in the middle with the guitar and I remember that day I was playing guitar and there's no one there, it was just me and I had this sort of white SG, Gibson SG and um, I just thought that is one of the... That's a very happy moment for me when I'm in my own space playing my guitar. And it's quite... So I thought, actually, then it just came to me, then it's quite, you know, if you're going to die, you've got to die when you're doing something, I suppose, uh, where you feel, oh, that's pretty... That's pretty... Uh, I'm pretty happy at this point, so I may as well, may as well die. 
died as he lived playing an S. Gibson in a in an empty warehouse. Yeah, yeah, that was all pre kids, of course. Now it's a bit more difficult now. Dying mm. when you when you just start, it's just you dying, and and the ramifications are sort of sad, but not sort of. You can sort of uh, get more into that. So, but but uh, so uh, you know. But that sounds like a good way to go. Do you do you worry about death? Do you think about death a lot? Yes, uh, on and off. Yeah, yeah. I sort of convince myself not to quite a lot of the time, and then it creeps back in sometimes. Often at three a.m. Yeah, the, the hour of the wolf, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the the hour when most people commit suicide or something, or most think, or yeah. most people die or something. So I do have a sort of uh, yeah, I can go there and I can um, get caught into those uh, spirals. Uh, I suppose yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember reading a book or parts of a book called The Denial of Death, which was quite interesting about how we're all basically just running, screaming from it, but trying yeah. in different ways to uh, pretend it's not going to happen. And comedy seems to be one of those things as well. Yes, it's completely. Comedy is entirely a, a group of people running, screaming from death. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, that's what, I think that's why you call it, that's why they say you died on stage when you have a really bad gig, because you didn't escape death, you died. Yes, yes, yes. I know, I remember, so I remember dying all over the place, all over the map when I first started doing stand-up, mm-hmm. just going out at night. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it because I never wanted anyone to see what I was doing I know some people, they sort of want their friends to come along and see them do gigs and things. I know, I never did that. I used to go off on my own yes. like a murderer, except I was dying. You know, uh, <laughs> Very <go>. shit murderer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would go off somewhere, get killed, and then come back, <laughs> uh, you know, at a sort of quarter of the man that left. And, and that was sort of what would happen. And I eventually learned to sort of, I suppose, die, because you always are going to die, to die the dignity, perhaps. So you, when you started seeing it going wrong, you would just go, okay, this isn't going to work. Whereas initially, the worst deaths were when I didn't know what... I thought, oh, I can make this work and would be mm. trying and trying and trying. And every time I tried, it was, it was, it was never going to work. It was like going into a room, but going in under the carpet. And then so I was just this brown lump sort of moving around, <laughs> trying to go... <laughs> there was no way I was going to get anything but I tried and tried, and they were the worst deaths, the early deaths. And then I what? eventually learned that I could die slightly more. How do you die with dignity? What's well, your... you, you sort of, you realise that it's, it's a conversation that is between two, it's like you're not going to make this work. So you, I suppose you can put the defences up a bit and then realise that it's, this isn't going to work and um, thanks, but, you know, um, maybe this wasn't meant to be um, and... Um, Good luck. Because you know that any, I mean, I, I, mine was a lot more to do with uh, the sort of weirdness of the personality and the strangeness of the material. And it wasn't so much like some jokes were good that I wrote, but mostly it was the sort of personality of the act and the strangeness of it. So if you didn't get into that, it was not going to uh, work. Um, and even my best material was, would often die in those sorts of situations. So, How long was it until you admitted to people you did stand up? <laughs> well, I mean, I sort of just didn't say when I was... I didn't take anyone with me when I was doing gigs in the, at the beginning. I just didn't know if I was going to be any good or not. Or, And I had... What I had done early on was... I think my I was in London and I was doing a gig uh, somewhere and it was near friends of mine who lived in London as well. So I said, I'll come along um, against my better judgment. I thought, I was obviously in a sort of upbeat mood and I thought, come along and we're going to be doing this gig. And I died 
and um, they'd never seen me do comedy, so they just saw me die. So the only thing they'd seen was this. And and you know how it can be when you very, when you die. It's just that you can't possibly see how if you're not if you're not a comedian as well how that could have been funny in any world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, like no matter what that person says, or the crowd was, you know, my, not my demographic, uh, you know, <laughs> etc. They're they're just going to go. That is you are absolute shit. Yeah. In, in any and it just looks like that. I know that. So I, I knew that they would never understand. <laughs> they would never believe I was good. <laughs> and that was sort of uh, I mean unfortunately I'd, uh, I had to, so I didn't do it for a while then I kept it all a bit secret until I sort of knew I could do it a bit more it becomes quite ritualistic I thought when I did stand up I don't do it anymore but I, I mean hats off I do know people who I mean people I started out with are still doing it and it's great I, I just don't I sort of decided I wasn't going to do it after a while and didn't miss it but I wasn't I don't think hang on any. can I ask you this I'm desperate to know this I read you did an interview about flowers and you said you you went back to stand-up recently and then quit again uh I wasn't stand-up it was a character some character stuff so okay. which I didn't see as the same sort of thing actually um it, you went on as a it had a sort of idea of a character and he was a self self-help guru and so I did it briefly uh to do as a character which I quite enjoyed and yeah, I didn't, but I don't really see that as stand-up, I suppose. At the time when I started out, it was, the character comedy was not the thing to do, or it wasn't, it was more like get yourself on stage with your personality and be hmm. uh, be the uh, the voice, your your own voice, sort of mute, slightly altered, but you, basically. So I didn't, I didn't, um, so I didn't really come back to that. But I did have lots of uh, talismans and rituals, of course, you know, before going on stage to try and make it right. And if you saw that person, that, that death, that kiss of death, yeah, that person Fuck. who sort of is, yeah, I mean, gosh, just taking me back there to that, those car journeys around England with various comedians. Oh, uh, yeah. It was just endless sort of thing. And you Especially die, if you've it. died, yeah, oh, you're then at the car the journey back. back. <laughs> Newcastle to London in a car yeah. where you're, they're just taking the piss out of you. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have thick enough skin, I don't think, for, for stand-up. No. You know, uh, I, don't, I think I just sort of found it all too, too traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> it is really traumatic. Can be, can be. It was a good way to, but I mean, it went well enough, I think, for me to think I've got, I've got something, which was, hmm. I suppose, what you needed is the initial thing was, you went, oh, it's a way of getting your ideas across and you're getting a response and realising that the things you're thinking aren't, you know, are, are have some merit, I suppose, and and... So, in one way, it was quite uh, encouraging initially, but I didn't want to carry on with that lifestyle. I don't think because it was it was somewhat lonely at the time, the way I was doing it anyway. You yeah, know, yeah. Working with other people and making stuff, you know that. Well, listen, I've got good news for you. Mm. You've died, but there is a heaven, and it's great. It's filled with all your favourite things. What's your favourite thing? Films. Yeah. Well, fucking hell, you've come to the right place. My <laughs> God, you're going to love it here. Everyone's obsessed with films. All they want to know about, they want to know about you. They're excited to see you, but they want to know about your life through film. Mm. And the first question they ask you is, what is the first film that you remember seeing, Julian Barrett? Well, I suppose it's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is one of the first ones I remember being on TV. And, and the first idea that I, it, it came on again and we would watch it again. So that, that was the first sort of film that I started to realise it was a film and you could watch it and you could watch it again and it came on every Christmas and it had comedy and horror and the child catcher was yeah. a very sort of powerful image and character in, in a lot of my early uh, nightmares as a young child. So that was one of the, one of the first um, 
films, I remember seeing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Do you have siblings, may I ask? Uh, yes. Are you, what's your age? Are you... Uh, well, older? I'm the uh, sort of oldest. Yeah. So did you all watch it together, you and your sister? Yeah, yeah, we would, yeah. Yeah, and she was two years younger than me, Emma, my sister. So she would... We both had a similar sort of taste in, in movies and things. Uh, but um, that was an early one, the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I mean, I... Then I remember the first movie I remember going to see. I'm not sure if it was the first movie I was going. I went to see, but I think the first one I remember, hmm. the ve- vague memory of going to see. Well, I, I saw. I went to the Black Hole, Disney's Black Hole. Oh wow! With uh, my mates on my birthday, so I'm not sure. I could probably figure out when that was. It was in the eighties, wow. early eighties. That would have been because I know that it came out the same year. Or maybe it was seventy nine, same year as Alien, Disney's Black Hole. But obviously I didn't see... But I, but I remember seeing that with my mates uh, all on my birthday. Uh, and it had some sort of vibrating seat, surround sound, vibration uh, idea to it. So it was a bit like trying to get people into the cinemas for that reason. But it, I don't remember much about the film. The first the film I remember seeing in the cinema, my mum my took me to see Jaws. And she took me, snuck, snuck me in somehow because I shouldn't have gone in. And she said, when the head popped out of the boat, on Ben Gardner's boat, you know, I I apparently stood up, stood up in my seat, started screaming. <laughs> so she had to pull me down, and everyone was looking around, going, "Why are you being abusing your child like this?" So I, and I, um, so that's my. I mean, I sort of remembered. It, I remember that vividly, sort of that moment. Where was this? Where in, where? in Leeds, where I, uh, Leeds. I grew up in Leeds? Yeah. So um, it was all. Um, wow. That was that was me standing up, screaming in in that bit. <laughs> These are all three scary, scary openers. Cheek, cheek, bang, bang, Jaws in the Black Hole. As far as I remember about the Black Hole, the Black Hole was like Disney trying to do a Star Wars film, but it ends with the ship going into a black hole and them all sorts of slow, slowly disappearing into space and dying. <laughs> I can't remember the ending. Is it quite bleak like that? I just remember yeah, Ernest Borg- I think so. Ernest Borgnine was in it and there was some robots uh, yeah sweet robot and then they all die in a black hole yeah yeah not the disney ending you expect you expect that at the beginning of a disney film not at the end yeah yeah or they um, go through to a magical land or something in the behind yeah. the black, behind the black hole but were they all just stretched they're just stri- yeah and they all sort of just float around it's, unless i'm remembering it wrong but i definitely think because the film called the black hole so i guess they've got to deliver on that they're on the edge of a black hole and uh I don't really know. I've no idea what the, the premise of it is. I think there. I can't remember anything about it. <laughs> the vibrating seats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is what is the film that scared you the most? You like being scared. I do. Yes. Well, it's, it's very dependent, isn't it? When you watch these things, of course, because uh, that changes like, a little bit. Like what you find funny actually over the years. I mean, some things mm. stay, but at certain stages of your life. Uh, Certain things are more frightening, and I mean, early on we got an old we we got um, a VHS player, and we um, uh, we got videos from the video shop, um, secret videos, pirate videos. Somehow we managed to get hold of a copy of Alien. So I must have seen that very young, and uh, that was for a long, long time the most frightening film I'd ever seen. And I dreamt of the xenomorph a lot in my really? uh, nightmares it featured in many a nightmare uh and it was uh it was chasing me around yeah the xenomorph pretty much was uh my uh my nightmare monster for many years um but i loved it but 
Um, arguably, it was I was a bit too young to see it, but I don't know. My mum just sort of she was quite up for me seeing quite a lot of uh, <laughs> weird stuff early on. I mean, so it's I mean I, I thank her for that really because I, I do lo- I still love yeah. that film. It's still it's still I mean I still watch it now. There's no nothing in it that I I have a problem with at all. I mean, there's no like where if I watch Jaws now, I'm popped out of it by the shark. Unfortunately, mm. uh, I would say that. There might be a case. I, I don't really like the uh, retroactive um, CGI stuff that's, that that no. you do, but I do think with Jaws for an audience to watch now. I mean, my kids just laugh when that shark comes on and starts folding. Yeah, when it's eating Quint, and it's eating Quint, and it's sort of folding and creasing. But if they just did something there, smoothed it, or did something slightly with the shark, then the film would stand up. I mean, it's just. Just let Spielberg know, you know, when you see him. Just tell him, you know, you know, he knows. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, I'll text him. <laughs> I'm just saying that 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 with Alien, there's absolutely nothing in it I can find any fault with. I don't know, you know, it just seems to hold up. Anyway, I mean, I just was I was absolutely staggered by that film and, and still am really. So I would say What's... that. But then later on, as you get older, yeah. it's more uh, existential the fears you have, of course. So. I would say perhaps more frightening than that would be The Vanishing. I don't know if you know that Dutch Oh, one. yeah. I mean, that's just... I mean, it's just so hor- horrifying, scary and bleak and existential, but br- brilliantly... Uh, I mean, just uh, really scary in a totally different way, I suppose. But, of course, as a young kid, I wouldn't be interested in watching that. But I saw that... I think I was, like, 12. Oh, yeah. I'm always amazed was it, by the... Was it on your birthday? Yeah, it was my birthday. I stood up on a chair... <laughs> We're going to take you to see The Vanishing. Come on, Brad. But it's, I've remembered all of it. Do you know what I mean? I, had, I haven't seen it since. Yeah, I can no, tell you everything I was saying, that it, film. I, I do not want to see it again, but, it's, but that's no detriment to the film. You know, there's certain films I would never want to see again. That's one of them, I think. I just wouldn't want to... Funny, like Funny Games as well. It's like they're incredible films, but they're a little bit... They're bone cold. They're yeah. sort of like psychologically chilling and incredibly well-constructed, and you see them once and you go, thanks a lot, and thanks for that, and um, I don't want to see that again, but uh, that's amazing. <laughs> I suppose if I was going to make a horror, and, I, and it was, I, I might look at it again maybe and think, how did, he, how did that sort of sense of, uh, you know, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to make a horror? I'd love to make a horror, yes, yes, I'd love to. So uh, why, always... why don't you? I will. Thank you. Yes, Thank I'm going to. Okay, I'm going to. No, I, I should, and I will, and I, I have a... I don't know. I suppose I've got a few ideas and I'm, I'm always tinkering with them. And, uh, yeah, so I would love to do a horror. I'd love to do that. I find it harder on TV uh, yeah. to, watch, to find something because uh, it's usually a one-hit sort of thing where you can build the sense of dread and tension and release it all. And So it's hard in a TV sort of environment to, to create the same sort of thing. But, um, I mean, there's been some pretty good examples of it. But I think I prefer the either one-shot sort of, attempt to try and for horror yeah, uh, yeah i do like that somehow um so that would i would say that uh, the vanishing is a pretty pretty horrifying film in in that way yeah, but. great answer julian barrett what's the film that made you cry the most and are you a crier yes i mean i do cry at certain films pretty much pretty reliably yeah um so i would say i try i cry at one for the cuckoo's nest every time i see it pretty much right um it's. I suppose it's a wonderful life. I cry at as well, and I cry. At, I often cry at Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Uh, these sort of things. What else do I cry at? Uh, but I would say 
reliably, I would say, yeah, one for the cuckoo's nest, you know. Yes. Do you cry in real life or are you, do you keep that locked up? Um, I have friends? done. I mean, I'm from the north of England where it was sort of frowned upon as a thing to do. And um, mm. so I had to work my way through that with therapy and, uh, you know, um, self-help books. So now I'm slightly more in touch with that and, and able to cry slightly more. Um, but it, it, was always a, it was always a thing you didn't really mm. do. You sort of kept it in and got on with things and... And uh, yeah, had a breakdown later on in life. I think is what they were hoping, which well, so they didn't have to deal with it when you were. So yeah, so we just kicked Once that problem, down, kicked that problem down the road, and uh, dealt with it all in my forties and, and uh, beyond. So uh, hopefully now I'm a bit more uh, in touch with uh, that. So I do, I do cry a bit more in life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do. But I can get sad. I can get sad at, at films, you know, um, mm. quite a lot. But um, tears, not usually, perhaps. I'll tell you what I did cry at um, recently was Coco. Oh my days! Yeah, yeah, and that's that really uh, was was made, made me cry at the end of that. Uh, so they did that really as well, well constructed to create. I've, t- I've had talked about this on the podcast before, but it was a while ago, so I can say it again. Genuinely changed how I feel about death, Coco. It did help me. Yeah, it actually true. made me go okay. As long yeah. as you remembered, it's a brilliant. Idea. It's a brilliant idea, and so incredibly, yeah, well put together, and the metaphor is so amazing and poetic and and it's all about I, I it's about playing guitar as well so it spoke to me on this sort of, I'm a, yeah. i play guitar constantly so i'm i'm like i just kind of uh loved it in that respect you know um as well so and the music was phenomenal and i mean i'm not i'm not a sort of pixar maniac as much as perhaps some folks are i mean i understand they're incredibly well constructed but i have a sort of i really did like coco a lot actually i really mm. did it. i did i mean i love all the toy story films as well but i find I find I have a problem, slight problem with the way they look somehow. I don't know, a very basic sort of crass level. And it's not a very deep observation, but I just don't get on with the way they look. <laughs> I respect so much. that. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Yeah, yeah. What's the film that people don't really like? It's not critically acclaimed, but you are just like, you're all fucking idiots. I love this film. It's hard because I don't really have guilty pleasures. I, I sort of put that away a while ago because I, I realised that I I could like whatever I wanted. And I think because I, I, used, to, I used to know a quite snobby chap who uh, was very much about art films and um, and all, all these sort of high-end movies and he didn't have time for any of the popcorn films, as he called them. Uh, and the bubblegum films, it was all like, no, it's not, it's not really meaning. It's, it's, it's just not worth it watching this stuff. And I was really, uh, this was at university, so I was 
I remember hanging out with this guy a lot and going along with it, going, yeah, you're right. We, we need to see all this stuff, uh, like um, all these strange films. So we did. I saw a lot of those films, sorts of great mm. stuff. But I also thought, I love just sort of basic, s- simple, popular films as well. And then I sort of came to terms with that, I suppose, early on. So I don't really have a guilty pleasure. But, I mean, I do... I used to sort of watch the... I like survival films, so... Yeah. Um, I like those a lot. And, and I like The Edge a lot. And I did remember... Do you know the Edge, Anthony Hopkins? Yeah, is that the Baldwin. one David Mamet wrote it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So anyway, that's not really supposed to be bad, but I suppose some people think it is, and I, I absolutely love it. But so I would get a lot of people sort of going on at me because I've always wanted to watch the Edge on tour buses <laughs> and things like that when everyone was going, uh, let's put a movie on, and if we were on tour with the Bush and stuff, and I would let's go, can we watch the Edge? Uh, <laughs> and they're going, oh, again. Um, apparently I'd shown them it all before early on in the tour, but um, I was probably drunk. But I would watch that quite often. It's a little, I find it very comforting. But um, a film I actually did like, which was I can see is absolute rubbish in a way, mm-hmm. was Wolf with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I genuinely got the poster for Wolf Have in you? my living room. <laughs> I mean, I just know that it's sort of badly, it it's is badly rubbish. cast. It's like Jack Nichols is just not... You don't want to see him leaping about. He looks a bit Sorry. chunky. He hasn't sort of worked out, and he's leaping around, and he's trying to be a wolf, and it's a bit embarrassing. But something about something about it I really like. I like the idea of, of it all, I think, at the beginning. And I don't know, and I like James Spader pretending to be a wolf. And they have this battle scene where it's like James Spader and Anthony Hopkins flying at each other on wires, and it's just so mis- misguided. <laughs> It's really, it's really bad. It's a good idea. It's a good yes, idea. yes, it is. The work, the sort of idea of the sort of work uh, and the sort of macho work, sort of. I don't know. I, I like, I liked the. Uh, I don't know why. I just sort of liked. I liked it, and I liked its sort of over the topness. And I know it was. I could see why it didn't work in lots of ways. But uh, I would watch that film if it came on, even though I know it's uh, it's sort of a misguided uh, sort of. A, <laughs> it's really bad. I mean, it, it's it's bad. Yeah, it's... it does look like he's on like a trampet. Yes, he thing. keeps doing those leaps. They put or... like a log in front of him, and he does a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly how he sort of leaps. What's the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but because the experience you had around seeing the film will always make it special to you. I mean, it's not necessarily a good film, but the first film that I got in to see with my mates was a double A, it was called, uh, which was a sort of weird certificate. But I wasn't old enough. I think you had to be... Well, it's a bit like PG, maybe, but I can't remember exactly what a double A was. But I wasn't old enough, and I had to get... It was it was um, every which way but loose with Clint Eastwood. Uh, and I was a big Clint Eastwood fan even then. But uh, So I snuck in uh, with my mate Christopher Wright, who had a bit of a moustache. So yeah. he just... The beginnings of a moustache, so he... I sort of went behind him and we sort of snuck into this double A feature. So it's a very exciting time in my life. Uh, we went to the Cottage Road in uh, Leeds, which is interesting, where I, we, we had a showing of Mindhorn there. And I remember, uh, so it was like a weird sort of thing where I, I remember sneaking into that cinema underage to see Every Which Way But Loose. And uh, with my mate Christopher Wright and his, his sort of just burgeoning moustache. Uh, and got in there to see that. So it's a very exciting time uh, sneaking into a movie when you're not old enough. Uh, did um, Christopher Wright come to the screening of Mindhorn? No, uh, that's what interesting. I'd shit. like to. <laughs> he, um, I don't know who he, where he is anymore. <laughs> so I lost touch with with him, and uh, yeah, um, but uh, you know, 
Can I just point out that um, we've been recording this podcast for a while. The lighting on uh, Julian's Zoom has changed from like an indie film to a film noir. And it looks fucking cool now. But he's just lit by one single source, like a this is like nice. he's in Taxi Driver or something. The Godfather, yeah. Looking really good. Thank you. I don't know if this was deliberate, but it's very cool. It is changing, isn't it? I can see now, yeah. It's because there's no light on in here, so it's just actually the sun setting. Beautiful, very moody. What's your visual man? What's the film that you most relate to? I, I don't really... Ha- I'm not really answering this in a very good way, I suppose. Um, I should have answered it in a more serious way, but uh, I don't really... I don't... I don't know. I remember being very excited when... Um, when a film called Crossroads came out with uh, Ralph Macchio playing a guitarist. Again, another guitar film. Because mm-hmm. as a kid, uh, it, was, uh, it was my main thing was playing guitar as I got a bit older. And it came out right at my sort of crucial sort of age of, I think it was about, I don't know, I was in my teens and I was obsessed with playing guitar. And um, this film came out where Ralph Macchio played a guitarist who sold his soul to the devil. Um, and it's called Crossroads. And um, it really spoke to me. Uh, you know, just the... Uh, <laughs> it's a terrible film I'm sure but uh, Steve Vai was the devil's guitarist and I had a thing about Steve Vai at the time no one will know who he is but a sort of fusion jazz crazy rock guitarist who was pretty incredible and so it was just everything it ticked all my boxes as a young 16 year old sort of shredder and so that what? was you know it was like that was my dream sort of film at that time you know but yeah Feel free to spoil it. Because at first I thought you meant the Britney Spears movie Crossroads and I was really excited that that was the film you guys related to. (laughs) (laughs) But what what is... Crossroads, it's a guy, he's a classic... What happens when he sells his soul? What happens at the end? You know, I can't actually remember it that well. A lot of uh, problems remembering these films, but I do Mm. remember the, the, the point with... He was a classically trained guitar player who wanted to play the blues... So right. he met met up with some sort of uh, dude at a crossroads and um, some old magical guy who told him he had to, then he could play the blues, but it was like a lost sort of blues song that he had to learn. I can't remember what happened, actually. I remember there was quite yeah. a lot of guitar playing in it and it was... Uh, it was just really relatable. Yeah, on a very superficial way, yeah. I mean, that yeah. was just the fact that I played guitar and I was about his age. So <laughs> I was not working on any sort of deep levels, no. I'm sure there are more films that I relate to in a psychological way, perhaps. No, I love that. I love that. No, that's deep. You also played karate when you were little, didn't you? you, you I did really do relate. I did judo, yeah. So, uh, But then I stopped judo because it clashed with the $6 million man on TV, so I stopped going to judo because <laughs> it clashed. It was the same time. I was like, there's just no way I'm missing that. Yeah. I love your priorities. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, here we go. Julian Barrett, what's the sexiest film you've ever seen? Oh, no, I think you've frozen. Have you frozen? Wait, 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 wait. You froze. <laughs> you completely froze. I didn't hear any of it. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. Jenny Agatha. Start again. Jenny Agatha, huge. Jenny huge. Agatha, Railway Children uh, was the first. Her, her sort of, she was she was the, the one for me in, in, my, in my youth. Mm. Uh, Jenny, and, um, you know, from Railway Children through Walkabout through uh, American Werewolf, you know. So yeah. that was that was where, that was for me, the, uh, she was the one, yeah, yeah. Still, and, and Call the Midwife, she's still got it. Call the Midwife, <laughs> she's still got it. <laughs> uh, there's a subcategory to this question, Julian, and the subcategory is troubling boners 
Worrying Why Dons, a film you found arousing you thought maybe you shouldn't have. Nothing, there's nothing troubling about Mabona. I mean, when it, I suppose it could be troubling. I don't know. I didn't. I, I would say I found Channing Tatum quite attractive. I like mm-hmm. his eyes, and I did find him quite attractive in something. Um, but that's not. It's not troubling, really. But maybe as a, a younger version of me, perhaps would have been troubled by that. But no. um, I like your <laughs> your absolute lack of shame in your boners. I think that's really healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. You can't cry, but you'll get a boner anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Can't cry. I love that. I'm not ashamed. No, I'm not embarrassed. Um, but I would, uh, I wouldn't be if no. I mean, early on, of course, you're you're incredibly embarrassed. I mean, so I suppose when when American Werewolf was on TV as a kid and mm. the scene with Jenny was, and that would be mortifying. If I was, I remember my grandma was around for Christmas. <laughs> that came on, so I totally forgot the fact that someone go, you know, they have, you know, someone goes down on her in the middle of the film. They both have mm-hmm. a sort of like, oral scene so i could not uh that was terrifying and, and mortifying at the time obviously and uh same with ghostbusters i found i found that very erotic actually the uh as a young guy um when uh sigourney weaver's possessed by is it zool or mm. so that, that was but that's not trouble that's just that's just you know pretty fair that's enough just... I mean, i'm pretty meat and potatoes in a way I'm not, i haven't got any you know <laughs> this is all pretty standard <laughs> standard stuff <laughs> There's nothing uh, too yeah. uh, off the off the charts. Listen, really. that's the reason I ask is sort of just a check, mm. and it's good to hear you. You've passed. You're absolutely fine. It's just a little check I like to do with the guests. <laughs> what is objectively the greatest film of all time? <laughs> Not your favourite. The greatest. Oh, the pinnacle of cinema. I mean, yes, Casablanca, and yes, all those sort of films. Yes, Casablanca, great answer. I think it's one of those things. I just, I, I can't really, I don't know what to say. It just does changes every day for me in terms of what I think is great. But, but today, the day you died, which the day? One? Oh, the day I died. Uh, well, I'd probably say, you know, Ghost with Patrick Swayze. Love it. Probably about as good as it gets. No, I mean, yeah. I'm serious. It's, 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 it's like, a really I think good it's film. Actually, it's actually better than Hamlet. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> I know the guy, apparently the guy who wrote it said he was seeing Hamlet. He went to see Hamlet and thought, really? I wonder what the, uh, I wonder what the ghost's perspective of this is. And then you think, and that's sort of what it is. But if you thought about, if Shakespeare was writing something, if he was around now, that, that would be how he would do the story, I think. That's you know I mean? great. It's so much better than Hamlet. I'd much rather watch Ghost. I'd, I'd watch Ghost twice yeah. than watch Hamlet. And then it's got, Incredible Whoopi Goldberg moments. So the comedy's yeah. good. The the scary stuff's good. It's got the uh, romance. It's got a love story. It's got um, brilliant ideas. Some early yeah. sort of CGI still works. Weird, um, weird pottery sex that's always a bit troubling. Swayze, pretty good. Uh, that was a troubling moment, but no, it wasn't troubling. I mean, it was uh, for them. Maybe it depends. Erotic. What happened with all the clay? Yeah. Excellent answer. You can have that. Ghost. <laughs> I'm a ghost. Uh, What's happening? What is uh, the film you could or have watched the most over and over again? That is probably Die Hard, I would have said. Lovely film. Um, again, I, that could be the literally the best film I've ever made, I suppose, on any other day from today. Yeah. That yeah. would be. But um, yeah, I would say 
<clears throat> I would say Die Hard is the one that maybe goes on the most in our house now and over the years uh, as well, through the years, has been a staple of uh, every Christmas. And um, and then it was almost like having children for me, it was like just a, it was all about basically when is it too soon to watch Die Hard or when is it right? That's what I was thinking from the moment they were born. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, they're so beautiful. And also, how long is it before we can watch Die Hard? When is the <laughs> when is the age? <laughs> so I've, uh, it's very exciting to to find. What was the age? What well, age we well, I watched it. We were too. They were probably too young, but they were about uh, ten. Okay. So and they and it, and they did love it. And I didn't want to show them it. I did. There was a few other things we'd watched, and they'd been getting into something. Uh, I think it was Brooklyn Nine Nine, and the guy in it, the main chap. Um, Anyway, he was obsessed with, That's it, yeah. He's obsessed yeah. in the film. He's obsessed with Die Hard in the TV show. So they kept asking about it, and um, so then we said, right, I said, right, let's, just, let's do this. And, it, yeah, it worked. It worked for them, and it always works every time. It's, it's just incredible. Um, uh, I do watch that uh, a lot, and Predator, strangely, a lot as well. They never seem to. I kind of watch those all the time uh, with, with people, usually, and always, but mostly with people, actually. Mm. Yeah, on, uh, you know, get those out. They always work. But Die Hard, uh, of course, you know, everyone understands it's it's pretty much perfect, isn't it? In terms, yeah, of, it is. In terms of uh, uh, the construction <laughs> of it, the uh, everything about it, yeah. Never really been topped, has it? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it's the sort of yeah. It's. I mean, I, you know, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of other good thrillers, but uh, yeah, it's. What is it? What would you say it is, Brett? I'll tell you what it is. What I think it is. I think, A, it's very simple and it's a simple idea and the idea is great. Yeah. And you very quickly care about the characters and when he does his, his toes on the carpet, you go, oh, I love this character, I'm in. Yeah. Simple setup. he's got to get his wife back. Everything's told very economically. But I also think the main thing that hasn't been replicated is that he gets a cut on his foot. Like, that's the the lowest moment in the film is... He's got glass in his foot. And it's so much more relatable than a city exploding and planets falling out of the sky. It's like, you've cut your foot before. It's horrible. <laughs> and That's he's it. much and more he, vulnerable. It's yeah, like, so you relate to him in that respect, I suppose. And you relate to his pain and you relate to his emotional pain because they're all things, you know, he's regretting how he's behaved with his wife. It's quite and, small. All of so those things, small. yeah. I, I the skyscraper's big, but yeah. he's small. His yeah. struggles are smallish comparatively yes. to bigger films. Yeah, yeah, of course. Is that you, you, that, that, that's sort of one of the, yeah, and I suppose, yeah, I mean, maybe that was the first time, or it came off the back of a lot of gung-ho 80s sort of heroes, didn't it? So I suppose mm. suddenly he was um, he was relatable in a way that they weren't, and that's what that's why it's hard to reproduce it, because it came at a certain and, time. And he's not super fit, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of average fit, and he's funny. Yeah. And... He's a bit of a dick, but he's all right, really. <laughs> um, and, of course, a great villain as well. Great villain, come on. That's the real key. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's uh, he's one of the best. So that's it. Two great, a great villain as well. Yeah. That's that. That's that problem solved. Uh, oh, uh, I forgot to say. I forgot to say. I forgot to say about Blair Witch. Oh, damn. Oh, good. go on. No, just that it was. Obviously, it sort of starts off like you know. You start off being scared by various things. In, in, in the films and then but that was one particular one I remember going to to the cinema to see that and being really really scared witless by Blair Witch um, mm. and a lot of people don't find it scary a lot of people find it annoying for some reason 
I don't know why, but it's sort of there's a bit more. I find that quite difficult to understand. Mm. I mean, I understand that now people go oh, found footage and it's a bit bored, bored with it. But at the time, it was pheno- it was phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. I think, and the idea that a lot of those early horror film, early horror novels were sort of almost found footage. Like Dracula was a little bit like a found footage thing, and some Edgar Allan Poe stuff done in letters. So it's like a kind of one of those things where it's in the form of a letter, it feels real. So the Blair Witch was a bit yeah. like a, a new kind of way of doing horror in that way, which is so, so real, which is often, uh, anyway. So I just remember being absolutely, that was so scary. And then, but then I remember going holiday, later we were in, in the countryside, me and my mates, and we decided to watch um, Blair Witch on a laptop in a graveyard to see if that was, what that was like. Not frightening, strangely. Yeah, so that's that's a disappointing story. So I don't know really why I went back to that one, but it's more that it was because the surround the surroundings were scary, and we were very sort of excited to put it on, and we put it on, and then then when you're watching a movie in a graveyard on a laptop, and you can see the sort of the apple, so you have to dim the apple buttons and stuff. You're suddenly aware that it's a techno, it's a technology, and there's it didn't sort of I don't know what it was. It just didn't work really. So it made me realize I think the power of just being in a dark cinema with Lots of people, which uh, I do still like to do, unfortunately. Not able to at the moment, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it would be good to get back to that. That's, a, that's all I'm anyway. after. It's just a little something for the Patreons. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, pop that. I'm, I'm putting that in the main. The mains are getting that. Yes, sir. <laughs> not, well, that's not a good enough story for the Patreons. Right, OK. <laughs> Let's uh, carry on. I don't want to deprive the mains of it, is what I'm saying. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't like to be too negative on this show, but what's the worst film you've ever seen? Well, I know. I mean, it's it's easy to make a bad film, I think, and it obviously is as hard to make a bad film as a good one and all that. And I understand and I feel sort of for people who do, and I, I'm sure I, I've done stuff that, I, you know, I, it was hard to do and it was not good. <laughs> but um, so, you know, yes. Uh, I mean, I did see uh, a film which I think is pretty much probably one of the worst films i think i don't i could i did get through it because it it became increasingly just mesmeric and that was london fields i don't know if you've seen that but oh i've read all about it but i've never watched it i've read the process <laughs> of making that i think it was a fraught yeah. process um yeah. uh it was fraught and i think all lots of things went wrong and uh, it was uh, johnny depp and amber heard were at loggerheads and i don't know and uh but it's it's just awful in the most it's incredible, but it's a real, uh, it's a real swing and a miss. They've really gone for it, I suppose. Is what it why you sort of heart goes out to them a little bit in that respect, mm-hmm. you know, because they're just going for it. And um, the the it's Cockney. It's about darts. It's it's a, it's you know it's an adaptation of a Martin Amis book, which I mean they don't wow. don't transfer well to screen. It seems. Uh, uh, but uh, the, the sort of uh, it's it's darts it's and the main guy is Billy Bob Thornton is the main dude wow and he's you know incredible but yeah. he's not he's not bad in it but it's like a documentary in which he's in in a film but he he's trying to sort of get out of the, or he doesn't want to be in the film but it's like <laughs> so you're watching him. He's brilliant, even though I don't know with within it. But it's like this thing's going on around him, and he, and it's almost like he's he's trying to say get help. <laughs> this is help me get out of here, um, which is interesting. I mean, 
Okay. Uh, I had no I idea it was about darts. No, oh god, it's just the most unbelievable. It's it's unbelievable to watch. It's really, really, it's fun to watch. Yeah. I would say. I mean, I don't. I know that. <laughs> I would say that it was pretty, pretty funny um, uh, to watch. One, pretty much one of the worst I think I've seen. Yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, that was quite recent. I mean, I did enjoy. In terms of bad films, I liked. Uh, I enjoyed the, the the badness and the wrongness of uh, uh, Jupiter Ascending. I thought that was quite sort of funny. Oh yeah. Uh, although I, d- I don't know, maybe you like that, but uh, I did think that was quite strange. Channing Tatum as a sort of weird, roller skating werewolf character, and Sean Bean controlling bees. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think with that, it seemed like that film. I'd heard that they. Because uh, it's the the Wachowski siblings who made mm-hmm. it, and I think that what happened on because you wonder how those people end up doing that film that such good sort of high end people it was Mila, Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum and all these big actors but I think because a lot of people apparently turned down the Matrix uh, first off and so when another script came from those guys it was like fuck I'm I'm in get me yeah. on board with this and but it was a three hundred four hundred page script and it was like it doesn't matter although you I'm know, not going to read it it'll be fine. Yeah, I think it was just one of those. Sort of what do I play? You play a fox dog pig. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's pretty bad. And then an early, an earlier one of those was um, an early bad. When I sort of, I just it was like astounded by how bad it was. Was the Island of Doctor Moreau with um, Val Kilmer? Oh know? yeah, which is is what it is incredibly watchable, knowing the story behind it now and the yeah. incredible story of the director who was sacked and then snuck back onto the set dressed as one of the creatures. I mean, it's just incredible. He's amazing. Have you seen that documentary about it? Yeah. It's oh, amazing. It's brilliant. I mean, they should, re- they should remake it from his perspective, sneaking back on. Yeah. Like, do a sort of uh, a meta, a meta uh, jujitsu film where it's from his perspective, sneaking back onto the film, you know. That's a great yeah. idea. Do that, you know, it's a little idea. Just so You can it. do that after your horror film, but when you're making your horror film next. Yeah. And then maybe that is a horror film. Yeah, you could do they do a lot of those. There's uh I do think you could do one with uh, quite a good film watching Back to the Future the other day. I was thinking you could do a film of uh Eric so a modern sort of take on it. Modern uh, Eric Stoltz going back in time to sort of recast himself in <laughs> the film. Could that work? Yeah. I think about that. <laughs> I think about that so much. About Eric think, Stoltz. Almost yeah, I just think, a, you, almost every day. I'd say every day. Almost every night about it. Before you drop uh, off. Before I drop off, I think, how did he ever get past that? <laughs> I, know, I know. How did you get past that? I he know. He shot months of it. He's told all his friends. He's told his I family. I know, I know, I know. And look, he's a really good actor. I say this I say this with massive respect to him. I think he's great. But I'm also like, how did you ever get past that? Yeah. And then the film goes on to become, you know, all-time great, blah, blah, blah. I know, because you've done, I've done things before where I've, I've thought, I'm not telling people if it's exciting or something. I'm not telling yeah. my kids because they'll, and if it's something good, and then... I'm, just, I'm not going to do it because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get cut, as you often do in these things, if they're big films, and you're yeah. doing a little turn. And then you've told your kids, they'll have told their mates, and then what happens, it comes out, and then I'm not in it, and their mates will go, you, so your dad, you said that your dad was in this film, he's not in it, so what's that about? And they would, it would, they'd be bullied, they'd yeah. develop problems later in mm-hmm. life. So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. But that is difficult, Stoltz, getting over that. That's got to be. And the fact that everyone knows it isn't like a secret. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, there was. It's like, oh, here's a, here's a couple of clips of Eric Stoltz not doing it right. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> oh, man. Awful. 
I think he should he should do like TED talks on resilience because yeah yeah I think that's the strongest man I've ever heard of. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's stopped, but yeah, I don't know what he's up to these days. You know, but building a time machine. Things right. <laughs> uh, Julian Barrett, you're in comedy. You're a very funny man. What's the film that made you laugh the most? When I when I sort of went to university, it, the film that we watched constantly was um, with Neil and I. So it was, it became a kind of a a bit of a touchstone for me and a lot of my friends in that in that era uh, where I was at university in the nineties, and so we all watched it as a sort of matter of, it was like a thing we did. We watched it and drank along with it. And uh, mm. it was a cult favorite of ours. And we, we watched it all the time and, and we started quoting it and saying, and, and screen and we'd screen it and everyone be, knows, knew the dialogue. And so it became sort of, in, in, sort of inextricably linked with my whole time at, at university and I had such fun watching that gave us such fun and out and about out in pubs just doing it and, and quoting the lines and i mean we were hideous i'm sure um, <laughs> but, but we were sort of we were absolutely in love with that film and um and i suppose it just i don't know it, it just gave me such joy and uh, and i think i left mm-hmm. i just and I, you know coincided with various you know just being out and about and getting drunk a lot so it just became a sort of uh our film i, I sort of think that's the that gave me the most laughter at probably, you know. Um, Love it. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I mean, it's an astounding film. I mean, I remember that, you know, the, the, the um, I remember reading Bruce Robinson saying, because he, he, he said that uh, Bill Nye nearly played the, with Neil Park and gave a good account of himself in the casting, but didn't get it. So, interesting, the, 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 not, the, not that that's an Eric Stoltz, I mean, he didn't record yeah. half of it and then get cut, but... Um, you know, just the way it could have gone, but um, yeah, it's such a weird, it's such a like unique film. There's nothing really like with Nail and I, and it's quite hard. Yes, to pitch. If you say, "What's it? What is it? What's with Nail and I?" Yeah, I yeah, really tell I you. know, I know, and it's um, it's very personal, I think, to Bruce Robinson, isn't it? And mm. I think he's annoyed because he didn't make anything out of it, money wise, and it's still sort of, it's. It, I think it just sort of needles him every time people talk. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, it's like it's just an incredible testament to to his genius. Um, yeah, incredible um, um, that performance as well. I mean, both both of them are great in it. But yeah, I mean, I think I relate a lot to double act films. I love double acts. Um, I haven't been in one, I suppose, but I'm very drawn to any film with a double act. I absolutely, I mean, I'm straight in there usually. You know, uh, those defiant, defiant ones. I always love. You know, with Tony Curtis and that one where they're chained together and uh i mean i love that sideways i love uh yeah i'm big into those sort of i, don't know, I love double act films that's really interesting did you love double acts before you were a double act um yeah i did actually yeah 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 so it's almost like i was sort of waiting to meet that sort of you know i've done a lot of double even when i played guitar there i was in a sort of double act with another guitarist <laughs> so and then i got into through comedy i always found i like the dynamic of two characters who are at odds with each other in some way but still mm. so i don't know i just i'm always drawn to that sort of relationship which i uh yeah for some reason interesting julian barrett you've been an absolute fucking joy i've loved this i'm very very grateful you did it however when you were playing the s gibson at the um bullend Bullengate, was it? Bullengate. 
but you're in the massive warehouse at the back of the Bullen Gate. Just rehearsing. No one there, just you. You've never been happier, sadly, for all the people that know and love you. Your happiest was you alone in an empty warehouse playing guitar. And you played uh, solo, obviously, because there's no one else there. And you played it so fast. It was the fastest you'd ever played this solo that your heart rate increased, increased, increased. You were fucking buzzing. You were buzzing like you just committed a crime. You were buzzing. Your heart rate was going up. And then suddenly your heart exploded right at the peak, just at the peak of the song as well. If only people had been watching, it was quite something. Anyway, I'm wandering past the Bullen Gate. You know what I'm like, always in that area. And I'm thinking, where's Julian? Is he on tonight? Is he going to be in the in the warehouse? I look in the warehouse. Oh, boy, it's an absolute mess. It's a state. You have exploded everywhere, right? So I've got a coffin with me. It's the size of you. I'm I'm putting bits of you in this coffin, but you're also, you've got it meshed in some of the wood and the brick. Having to put lots of bits of you in this coffin ends up there's more of you than i thought there would be the coffin is absolutely rammed it's jam-packed there's very little room in it there's only enough room for me to slip one dvd into the side with you for you to take to the other side and on the other side it's movie night every night one night it's your movie night what film are you taking to show everyone in heaven when it's your movie night julian barrett (laughs) (laughs) um it's gonna it's gonna be predator I love it. I love it. I love it. It's going to be Predator. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know if anyone's brought that before. If they have, I could always say something else. But uh, I can't. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember. remember. Let's say Predator. That's a great answer. Just, you know, I just think that's going to that's going to work. That's going to work on a on a, on, a, on an audience, no matter whether they're dead mm. or not. Yeah. I think you're going to be very popular in heaven. Julian Barrett, you've 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 passed, and you get to like Patrick Swayze at the end of Ghost, go to the other side. Is there anything you'd like to tell people to look out for or listen to in the coming weeks of yours, of mine? Yeah. So I have done a show called Bloods, and uh, that's coming out at some point. I don't know that that's that's what I've done over lockdown. <laughs> Julian Barrett, God bless you. Thank you for doing this. A wonderful death, and I will see you soon. Good day. Good night. That was episode 131. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat, a big secret, and a video with Julian. See his light, get well moody. You can see it all there. Head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five star rating and write about the film that means the most to you and why. It is lovely to read. I do actually read them. I really like it. And it also helps numbers. And I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. So thank you to Julian for giving me all that time. Thank you to Moon for making this happen. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it and doing an amazing job this week. As always, thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lylan for the photography. Next week... I will be finally doing the extra late, super special, extra amazing end of year special with Nish Kumar, where we will try and work out exactly which films count as 2020 and what we thought of them and all that stuff. I think this is early because I I checked the last time we did the end of year last time in February. So you're getting it. I mean, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves, if anything. It's going to be great. You'll love it. So I hope everyone's well and I hope you're all having a nice time. So that is it for now. 
In the meantime, have a lovely week and please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.